Warning. Beards, Brews, and Vinyl Reviews contains adult content and language. Welcome to another fun-filled episode of Beards, Brews, and Vinyl Reviews. I'm Brandon. And I'm Travis. And this week, we decided not to talk about the swag beer. So we're just breaking out our everyday drinkers, of course. I got Heineken. I got uh, Sierra Nevada Pale Ale. Heineken, Sierra Nevada. Feel free to send us some. (laughs) I mean, we do love your product. But this week um, is, to me, the best Foreigner album that they put out. Yeah, I think no question. Um Although, to be fair, they've got some good records. Oh, yeah, they got great records. But to me, this was my introduction to Foreigner, and I love it. We are doing Foreigner 4. Oh, gnarly! Yep. And not only is it their fourth album, it's the first with only four members. That's right. I mean, unless you count the session musicians and everybody else they brought in on this thing. There's like nine guys then. But, um, yeah, uh, it was released uh, July 2nd, 1981. Yep. And I have the OG copy that I've had, like, all my life. I mean... It's right here. Cigarette smoke stains and oh, all, right? Oh, that thing is beat to hell. But I did luck out, and I found a way nicer copy for, like, a buck. So I went ahead and picked that up. That's pretty pristine, too, to be honest, when I was listening to it. Yeah, when I, when I found that one, yeah. I was like... I'm going to keep my OG because it's got some sentimental value. Um, an uncle of mine that had passed away, um, he's the one that uh, gave me that one. I'll, I'll, you know, I'll just say it. When I first heard Jukebox Hero, when I was a young lad in 1981, I mean, I would just have him play that song over and over and over. He got so fucking sick of hearing me say it. He gave me the damn album. It's so, so good, though. That one there, that copy there that's in front of us, it is beat to hell, but I will not ever part with it because it's just one that I've always had. Yeah, that makes sense. So, do you want to get into the album cover and the artwork? Or? Yeah, yeah, let's start there. I'll, uh, let's say, I'm a, so I'm going to give it a three out of five, um, because it's pretty, it's pretty great album cover, right? But it's a little bit boring, and it's a little bit, like, right on the nose. You know, Foreigner, it's a fourth record. A little bit too much, like, like right in, in your face. Four members now. But it's still pretty good. Um, well, you know this was an alternate cover, right? Uh, yeah, I've never actually seen that original I've never cover. seen the original neither, but when you read about it, I'm not going to get into that discussion on I, it. I'm not either, but it's um, worth uh, Googling that. Yeah, if you Google that, look up the original Foreigner 4 cover. It was originally called Silent Partners, right? Yeah, yeah. and then uh, you'll you'll see what all the hubbub was about that, <laughs> but we're, we're not going to get into those type of politics on this show. <laughs> Um, it's a greater scope than what we're going to talk about. But yeah. honestly, um, I gave it a four. And the only, you know, I, I mean, I love the old fashioned film leader look that they gave to it. Yeah. You know, yeah, it is just, you know, black and white. 
you know, black and grays. But the foreigner, the red foreigner logo just makes it pop. And I I mean, it's pretty simple looking, but it, I I like the idea that they use such a simple cover for such a complex sounding album. Can I tell you a funny story about this album cover? Bring it up. A couple of years ago, uh, I was in a shop and they had some, uh, some foreigner shirts. It was was a foreigner four shirt. I was like, sweet. So I got it and I got it home and washed it and dried it. It's one of those ones that was on really cheap cotton. And when I got it out of the dryer... (laughs) It was about cat size. So it went from normal fit to extra medium. <laughs> exactly. It's like, what the fuck is this? Hey, you got to love it. I, I do got to say, oh, t-shirt makers out there, make the shit for us beer drinking bigger guys because uh, there's nothing worse than a damn t-shirt you put on and you wash it one time. Okay, I'm not a slim guy, so I don't want a fucking slim fit shirt. Think about that. Well, to to be fair, I do wear a medium, and that thing still shrunk up so much that it wouldn't even fit on me. So you're like beefcake on steroids <laughs> if you try to fit. What what do they say? Like ten pounds of sausage in a two pound sack, something like that. Like an overstuffed bratwurst. Yeah, you know, and you know what happens to an overstuffed bratwurst? Oh lord! But no, I mean, like I said, I'm gonna give it a four just because it's foreigner four, and. To me, that is my favorite Foreigner album. Yeah, it's great. Yeah, folks, you're not going to get too much arguments probably on us on this album. I mean, it's so damn good. If you do not own it, go buy it. Yeah, that's a great one. Um, Yeah, I mean, it's got so many strong tracks on it. It does. Let's go to that. Let's go to strong tracks. What are you going to give it out of five? I got to stick with my Foreigner 4 theme. I give it a four. Yeah, that's solid. I gave it a four, too. I mean, it leads off with Nightlife, yep. which bleeds right into Jukebox Hero, which I'm sorry, man. It, it, it flows it flows pretty good, but I know we do got the part of the show where we got to throw the dud out of the group. We do. So I'm not going to talk too much more about the flow. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, I mean, you got Waiting for a Girl Like You. That was huge. Um, Urgent was on there. Oh uh, yeah, Urgent's great. Like I forgot, like Luann was a single. Like I, I don't even remember that. We'll get to that in right. a little bit. <laughs> uh, sorry, Luann, if you're out there listening, but uh, we'll we'll get to that. It's it's so good. I mean, well, we'll get to the production in a minute. Why it sounds so good? Uh, yeah, there's we could spend probably three hours on the production of this one. But I will. Like I, I love Mick Jones. Like you know, he's playing Mountain, great band. Um. You can. This is one of those records you can put on. Listen to both sides. There's some songs that aren't as good as other. Uh, we'll get to that. But overall, yeah, like, and it's super honestly, um, just throwing it on and re-listening to it. I mean, you know, it's something. Yeah, you've heard it a million times. But throwing it on and listening, I found some gems on side two that I, I was like, I was impressed with. Yeah, you know? me too. And that's one part you know, why we like doing the show, folks, is because it it brings out other aspects of the album that yeah you never heard it on the radio it totally does like put on an old record one of the ones that we review anyone that you want uh, a record you own and listen to it differently listen to it for the production value listen to it all the way through the tracks you wouldn't normally listen to stuff jumps out at you it's great oh yeah every and it's almost like every time you listen to it you find something different you do you know what doesn't jump out at you luann <laughs> luann <laughs> sorry luann uh, <laughs> obviously Mick or Lou had a hard on for some lady named Lou and that must've been one hot piece of ass because I can tell you the song on the other hand 
Yeah. I mean, you know, I try to stay away from reading anybody else's reviews on the yeah. albums that we uh, talk about, but it's like, whoo. Um, all right, so we, we might as well go a little out of order today and skip right to track to avoid. Yeah, let's let's go ahead and hit the track to avoid. I'm giving it a one. <laughs> Same here. Because one is our lowest score on our scale. We rate from one to five. Yeah. And... I'm going to give you the honors. Go ahead and tell us what that is. And we do not rehearse this. No, we don't. But obviously by our chatter already, I think everybody knows what the fucking dud on this album is. Track to Avoid's Luann. It's definitely fucking Luann. It's it, an album that's this listenable and it's produced this well. There's, it just like it drops out and it's just like... And, you know, it's the last song on side one, so it's just easy to skip it. Like. And, flip it over then. but the problem is side one was flowing so fucking great know, and then luann hits you totally does like break it up it's a great song like i, I forgot oh, yeah. about that song um but um so good. i mean you know my notes that i took for this i just put luann it just fucking sucks <laughs> i mean these are literally my notes folks you know it has great guitar tones from mick it's got a solid backbeat by rick wills and dennis elliott but lose vocals. I mean, I'm not saying that he's singing it bad. Right. But it's just like what he's singing about. It's like, it's so fucking lame and boring. It has no business being on such a great fucking album. Yeah. And, you know, obviously it was the last single they released for this record and the lowest charting single. Like, I'm surprised they released it as a single. No shit. And it's like when uh, you sent me those articles to read yesterday, yeah. I'd already have my notes all done. That's what I, I text you. And yeah. I said, well, that's going to be funny because... It's like they released it as a fucking single, and to me, it wasn't worth the fucking vinyl it was cut into. No, I was surprised because I always listen to the record first, take my notes, and then I'll search for some articles to see, you know, what other people are talking about the the record. I didn't even know it was released till a single and, until I did that, and I was I was fucking shocked because it's such a bad song. <laughs> it's terrible. I mean, I'm sorry, Mick. I I, I love you, buddy, but. Good God, what you guys must have been doing some major fucking drugs when y'all fucking put that damn single on the album. Because to me, it just, it just, I'm not going to say it ruined the album, but goddamn, it makes you want to get the side two real fucking quick when that song comes on. Yeah, yeah. Just, it's a good thing it's the last song. Just skip it and flip it. All right, let's go to a favorite track. Oh, favorite track. I got to give it a five. And yeah, it's Jukebox Hero. Yeah. I mean, I've that was the first song that I, you know, physically remember hearing from Foreigner, and I fell in love with it. The fucking guitar tone that Mick has on that is Come sick on. as shit. The buildup of the song, because it just starts off real slow. It's yep. got, got the sense at the, you know, at the beginning, and... We'll get into more of that here right. in a little I, bit, I I'm sure. Yeah. But it's just, it builds up, and then that guitar just fucking comes up, and it's just like it smacks you in the fucking face. It's it's fucking fantastic. And you know, that was originally two separate songs, and Mutt Lang was listening to mixed stuff. You know, he recorded some demos, and he's the one who said, let's Yeah, because together. didn't Lou, Lou had a song called One Guitar, something like, something that. Yeah. like that, and then Mick had something about the jukebox. Yeah something and then mutt lang being mutt lang yeah. said i'm just gonna take these ideas and i'm gonna make you guys a hit and god damn was it ever a hit oh it's so good i knew honestly when we were gonna do this show and i know we didn't rehearse it we didn't talk about it but 
I mean, to me, that's that's the quintessential song on it this is. album. I think it's funny. Like the other song, if I was going to pick a second one, I usually try to avoid singles for my favorite track. But Urgent's my other favorite song on here. And Urgent's that, great. And that is also one that Mutt was listening to all the mixed demos and pulled it out. Yeah, because didn't he find it in like a 10-second clip yeah. that Mick just recorded, yeah. you know, and he thought he might use it somewhere down the line in a song, yeah. and Mutt made a whole song out of a 10-second guitar clip. Yeah, because Mick was saying in that article that we read, he was embarrassed playing all these just little snippets that he recorded for Mutt, because Mutt said he wanted to hear everything. And then the two songs... Or technically three that Mutt pulled out and put together were Jukebox Hero and Urgent. Like, yeah, I mean, but dude, Mutt, he's he's a fucking genius. Where you at, Mutt? You, I know you're a recluse, but yeah. good lord, so good. Um, and honestly, I didn't even know Mutt Lang produced this album until we started. We was going to do the show. Neither did I. But I had always thought I was like, man, this is a production masterpiece. Absolutely. But I mean. I mean, I had to go Jukebox Hero, which, yeah. if we get into our deep cuts, man, if I would ever heard my deep cut on the radio, I would have been like, holy shit. All right. Are we are we going to deep cuts? Um, Yeah, we can. I'm going to let you go first. All right. So there was a couple on here, actually. So I, I gave it a four out of five. Like, it's solid all the way through. Uh, my deep cut is uh, I'm going to win. You went that one? Yeah. What'd you go with? I picked Woman in Black. That's good. That's really I like good. the darker sound of it. Yeah. Um, you know, I thought it had a great guitar intro. Oh, he's cracking the Sierra Nevada. Did you hear that fine folks at Sierra Nevada? <laughs> um, I just thought it had a great guitar intro. Um, it's got a nice groove to it. I love Lou's voice on that one. And honestly, there's a little, there's like a little, um, a little riff that Mick's playing in there. Yeah. It's kind of just a little bouncy groove. It, it reminded me of the cars, just what I needed. Oh, yeah. I, I mean, I just, it's not exactly, but you get that, the way it, it's bouncing in there. It reminded me of that when I first heard it. It, it totally should have been uh, the last single instead of Luann. Oh, yeah. You know? Definitely. It, it sounds like a single. I like I'm Going to Win. It's a little bit rocking. I think it fits perfectly. Uh, right where it is you know it's it's right after urgent side two um it just fills in that spot perfectly and i i forgot about that song i haven't listened sat down and listened to this whole record forever like i had the cassette and um listened to it on vinyl was awesome like the original copy sounds good it's big you know what i mean mm-hmm. uh typical Mutlang production mixed guitars are you know fucking les pauls through marshall i think he was playing marshall's back then uh yeah just huge sounding i think everybody played marshall's right. back then <laughs> But uh, I'm telling you, another one, well, actually, Girl on the Moon's not bad. Yeah. And Don't Let Go is, Don't Let Go is a solid finisher for side two. It is. I uh, I actually had Girl on the Moon. I was going back and forth between that and I'm going to win. Yeah. I mean, and that's the funny thing is I know when I was little listening to this, it never made it to side two. Yeah. Well, yeah, it did to hear Urgent, Urgent and then, then that was yeah. like, okay, flip it back over, and I want to start it over, you know, with Nightlife in the Jukebox Hero. Yep. I mean, but yeah, why would they put Luann on here? It's a I mystery. Mean, I mean... <laughs> it's an unsolved mystery. It's a waste of three minutes and at least 25 seconds of your life if you listen to Luann. It's horrible. But let's segue then. We already talked about it a bit. 
the production overall sound. Yeah, the production on this one, man. I mean, Mutt Lang and Mick produced it. Yep. It's typical clean perfection that Mutt was famous for. And I'm just going to throw it out there. Since you love synth music as much as you do, mm-hmm. what did you think about Thomas Dolby playing on this record? You mean a young 22-year-old Tom Dolby as he's listed on the record? As he's listening on the record. Uh, I, I didn't know that until we did the research for this. But so, you, you know, you would think it would just be like, um, you know, urgent. There's a lot of synth stuff there, especially in the middle, like the, the verses and, or the um, choruses. But he doubled up a bunch of stuff on the record to give it that, that sound. Uh, they would go out, the guys would go out for dinner, and then Tom Dolby would do his parts and they'd come back and listen to it and that was it. And something else that I thought was fascinating was all the money he made off of the royalties from this album Yeah, is how he produced his first album. Yeah, it's pretty cool. I mean, you know, I don't know how else better you could do anything. I mean, because, you know, he was unsure of what he was even doing on this album. So he didn't, when they called him, this is a funny story, did you read that in the article? Yeah, So I they called it. him and said, Mick Jones wants you to come play on this record. And he was like, oh, fucking sweet, thinking it was Mick Jones from The, Sla- <laughs> from the Clash. Yeah, he thought it was from The Clash. <laughs> uh, but, um, I mean, but think about it. You just got an ass load of cash yep. from, because, I mean, this album sold a gazillion copies. I mean, but they were in the studio for what, 10 months doing this thing? Yeah, it was almost a year, but it's funny talking about how many, how, you know, successful this record was. You know, a lot of these big records, they're successful all over the world, but comparatively, when you look at the sales, like it was gigantic in the US and it was pretty big other places, but usually it's much more evenly distributed than, than this record was. It's weird. Yeah. I That's mean, why Thomas Dolby, you know, this is their fourth record. The first three went multi platinum. But Thomas Dolby still didn't know who they were. Yeah, I mean, and that is true. Didn't they did hit the hardest in the U.S., wasn't it? Yeah, like when you look at their sales, it's it's crazy. So like this record, I think they did like seven million in the U.S. And then uh, the other countries, the big countries like the U.K., the three hundred thousand. You know, Australia seventy thousand. It's usually bumped up a little bit closer when on these big records. It's kind of weird, especially since mixed British. You think the U.K. would have a big big following? Uh, I mean, and. Um, but another funny read that was in that article was how just m- how many hours they spent in the studio, and then Mutt Lang being Mutt Lang is like, okay, come on, fuckers, we're we're going somewhere, <laughs> and they end up at what FAO Schwartz, yeah, and he comes out with frisbees, and then they go to Central Park, yep. they play frisbee for ten minutes, and he's like, okay, you got a record to make, let's go. Yeah, it's so weird. Cause, yeah, because they recorded this at uh. Hendrix's studio, right? Electric yeah, Lady. In Electric New York. Lady, yeah. yeah. And then there was also another interesting thing on this was uh, whatever business was right beside the <laughs> <Yeah>. studio, like <laughs> caught on fire. Was it, was it like a club? A, yeah, it was like a, a nightclub. nightclub or something. So it like caught on fire, and these guys are in the control room like <laughs> mixing shit. And all of a sudden, New York firefighters, all beef caked up, come like busting through the fucking wall of the place. Yeah, village people style, right through the wall. And um, um, that article was great because it, yeah, it also cool. talked about how they had done so many splices and stuff in the like the masters and stuff yeah. that they were worried that it, it's kind of like a, what was the one Queen album that was it Bohemian Rhapsody? It was the, that was the Queen they album. They cut and spliced a lot of tapes Yeah, for that. they cut and spliced it so many times that they thought that they almost lost everything. Oh, wow. 
and luckily on the last go, I guess when they finished it, that was the last time that they was able to use that tape. Wow. You know, because recording back then, it's not like we're doing now. I mean, we're running in a, what's up, smoking computer? Mm-hmm. How you doing over there, buddy? <laughs> so, like, smoking computers over there, mm-hmm. you know, it's digital. Back then, everything was analog. Yeah, like, it, it wasn't that long ago. So, like, when I first started recording in bands, we recorded on two-inch. Hold and- on, hold on, folks. I, I know he threw a plug out to my 5150 guitar, so I got to give him some props here. Um, which band was this? Was this the band that you were almost signed to Sony Records? Uh, yeah, an earlier band, yeah, Superstar Rookie. I played bass, and we had talked with some labels. But yeah, we recorded on 2-inch, and that was late 90s, and that was around the transition to digital when everybody started using Pro Tools shortly after that. Okay, do you hear that, fuckers? Why did you not sign these guys? But I'm <laughs> honestly, I'm glad you didn't because, you know, then he'd be too high and mighty, and uh, I, I don't know who the hell would be my co-host. <laughs> It'd be me and Smoking Computer in here. Uh, it could be uh, my sister, your wife. Oh, well, I, I figured she would have done busted in by now. <laughs> I mean, she's got her thoughts on our show too, folks, and sometimes, I don't know. But she does got a good idea. Yeah, yeah. We'll get to that one uh, shortly. So um, what do you think? Uh, so oh, oh, production overall sounds a five out of five. Like we both agree on that, right? Oh, yeah. You got to give it that. And then uh, so the overall uh, listening experience when you're sitting down and listening to the record all the way through? Um, You know, I've just always loved this album. And like I said earlier, you know, I wore out this copy that we're actually looking at because travis decided he was going to ride his bike over to our high-tech studios today <laughs> so he didn't bring the copy that i lent him to uh, listen to which is a very clean copy for it a buck. i mean i you can't go wrong i mean even if you got to pay 10 bucks for this album it's well worth it um i thought about uh uh, quote unquote, losing that copy and saying, "Here, uh, Brandon, I'll give you your buck back." You can uh... no, th- <laughs> you ain't gonna do that. And like I said, I, I, I when I found the other copy, I was contemplating just giving you this one, yeah. but because it did come from my uncle, sure, yeah, yeah. I, you know, I'm like, ah, I better hang on to it, totally. But I mean, like I said, Mikasa is Sukasa. I mean, <laughs> you need to borrow it anytime. You know, feel free. And I don't know. I just. To me, it's just, it is the foreigner album to own, definitely. It's great. It's a fun record to listen to. Like, you put it on, listen to side one, don't listen to Luann, then you flip it over. Side yeah. two's great. Starts with Urgent. And then, honestly... You can let side two play through. Yeah, the rest of the songs are going to side two, for sure. I mean, honestly, it would have been the best if they were to throw Luann at the end of side two. Yeah. Because that would have moved Urgent up to side one, and this would probably... <laughs> So far, out of all the albums we've reviewed, been the most solid side one. I agree with that. Like, if, if Urgent was the last song on side two, then that's that's up there with side one of Flick of the Switch. Oh, he's going backwards, <laughs> folks. I thought I thought we done had the Flick of the Switch behind us. Well, we can move forward. It's it's up there also with side one of Moving Pictures. Well, Moving Pictures. Uh, gee, aren't we doing that uh, the next show? Maybe. <laughs> Oh, wait, that was a shitty teaser, I guess. But, <laughs> hey, for all you Rush fans out there, we're going to do moving pictures uh, on the next episode. That's right. And we do hope that everyone out there does enjoy this show. I mean, if if you've got any questions, comments, y'all want to send us some free shit, I mean, you know, hit us up on the pages. I mean. Yeah, for sure. And we can always backtrack 
and re-listen to stuff. I mean, we're just two dudes, love to drink beer and listen to music. That's right. So yeah, yeah. So when you listen to the show, crack up in a beer, listen to shit, and then go put on the record. If you own it, go get it. If not, go find it. Like these are good records to listen to. It's fun. Yeah, and honestly, I so miss being able to go out and go record shop. Yeah, I know. I mean, it's ridiculous right now, but I mean, you know, I guess it's what you got to do. Yeah. Um. Yeah. So overall, listening experience, uh, five out of five. Like, it's a great record all the way through. Like, that's great. Yeah, I got a break from my fours that I was doing just out of because it was four and or four. Yeah, it's definitely five. Yeah, for sure. And like I said, even before I knew Mutt ever had a hand in it, I was like, man, that's a tight sounding album. Yeah. And then once you find out that Mutt had a big hand in it, then you realize why. Here's a fun fact. Um, we played Jukebox Hero at a show once. We covered it. It didn't sound as good when we did it as I, Warner did. I honestly wish we had the audio from that. <laughs> if we do have the audio, folks, we are allowed to play that on the show. That's so right. If we can dig up the audio from recording day to production day, uh, we'll throw that in there for you. That's right. Um. All right, so you've seen them live, right? Yeah, uh, I've seen them twice, both times with my wife, your sister. Um, the first time we seen them, well, first off, I'm going to give them a five. I mean, it is, it's a solid show. This but, makes guitar sound as good live as it does? Yes, yeah. but the thing is, I've never seen them with Lou. Um, both times we've seen them, it's been with Kelly Hansen, mm-hmm. which he is a phenomenal singer. Yeah, he I sounds mean, a lot like Lou. He does sound a lot like Lou, but um, gosh, I forget what bands he was in. Before. He was like a session singer and stuff like that, I think. And he was uh, he was in some uh, somewhat big 80s bands. Not really. Yeah, I can't remember the names of them right offhand. <laughs> Research, we drink beer. But uh, the first time we seen him was in 2010. We was at the LC in Columbus. It was such a great fucking show. I couldn't even tell you who the fucking opener was because when Foreigner come out, I didn't give a shit who the opener was. Right. And was it was that one indoor or outdoor? It was outdoor. Nice. It was where they actually flipped the stage. And yeah. honestly, cool it was our first show. I think that we ever. Yeah, it was the first show that I've ever seen there outdoors. Mm. Um, because I was always wondering how the hell they did it, but they just opened the back wall up and that's the stage. And then you're sitting on like a little hill, kind of like at an amphitheater. Yeah, it's like a small amphitheater. It's yeah. Kind of, what's the size? Is it like 5,000 people there? I can't remember. Uh, probably five or 6,000 probably. Yeah, it's a good size. Yeah. And even on the indoor part of it, I, I've seen many a show in there. Yeah. I mean, to me, that was always a pretty cool place. It's cool. It connects to that little bar upstairs and you can sit on the balcony. Yeah. And yeah. And that's usually every time like i've been there it was where i shot to was up top because if you can get up there to the rail yeah you're gold and you just got like a center stage yeah. you know view of everything and then the second time we seen them it was uh in 2015 they opened up for uh kid rock at walnut creek oh, yeah. you know here in raleigh and i mean it's just fucking awesome i mean and mick just stands up there just grinning from ear to ear yeah it just looks like he's not doing a damn thing, just rocking the hell out of that fucking Les Paul. So good. I mean, it. yeah, if you've never seen them live, you definitely owe yourself that and go see them. 
I, I would love to see him. I've never seen him live. Like, I don't know what other guys he has playing with him now, but like on four, uh, the Rick Wills that played bass, he played with Peter Frampton and uh, Roxy Music too. Yeah. Um, well, I can tell you when we seen them both times, uh, I'm going to drop the name on the bass player. Ah, it was the dude from Dockin. Oh, uh, really? Uh, what's his name? Jeff Pilson? So, I don't know. Um, yeah, I think it was Jeff. Pilson. I only know two guys from Doc, and you oh, can guess which two. George and Don. Yeah. Um, yeah. Um, but yeah, the dude from Doc and is the damn bass player. And honestly, when we seen him, the uh, the guy that was like covering rhythm guitar, I don't remember what his name was. Research. What the fuck is that? We like to drink more beer than we do research. But he uh, also did all the saxophone work. Oh, cool. And. To get back to a little bit of that, that's what was awesome about, like, was it Urgent was the one with the sax. Yep. And they had Junior Walker come in and do the sax part. He was playing at a club down the street, right, from the studio? Yeah. And, yeah. and uh, they got him in there, and then Junior was, like, playing, like, must be his new style that he went to. And then Mutt and Mick both, you know, just told him, said, no, nah, we want, like, shotgun and stuff like that. And he goes, oh, y'all want the old shit. Yeah. And then he just went in and laid it down. I mean. And wasn't he like, that's the first time he did overdubs? Like he didn't know he was super uncomfortable about yeah, overdubs? That he had never done an overdub. Yeah. He just always, what, like first takes yep. on all their stuff. And there was a song on this album that didn't they get it in like the first or second take? I think Waiting for a Girl Like You was two takes and they used Lou's first take vocals. Yeah, that's what it was. Yeah. I mean. Which is insane. It is Especially insane. on an album that they spent almost a year on to actually get a and a song. In, could in you imagine takes. being the fucking record exec that fronted all the money for this? And it's like, uh, are you fuckers ever going to get done? Because wasn't it Mutt had to push off the Def Leppard Pyromania That's why album? he ended up actually leaving and they brought in the other engineer to finish the last couple of months because he couldn't push it off any longer. And he delayed it like three or four months. And then they had to hurry up and get out of the studios because, uh, was it Hall and Oates was supposed to That's get in right, there? That's right, they had it booked, yeah. Mitchell is standing by, Andrew. What has just happened? That is indeed Hall and Oates and not Andrea Mitchell. We have plugged into the sound system in the room. Let's go across the state to, oh, I'm being told we're going to try Andrea Mitchell again. Andrea. Again, Hall and Oates. Let's go to Raleigh, North Carolina. That's funny. That was that was back when, uh, was it ZZ Smith played with Hall and Oates, wasn't it? Oh, uh... Was that the. The, what was his name? The guy from Saturday Night Live, right? Yeah, I thought it was E.Z. Smith. Jay something Smith. Yeah, something like that. I don't think we either of us had that right. It's something well, Smith. Well, we have been drinking, folks, but, you know, that's okay. We Like I said, we have one smoking computer that records the show. We, we can't afford another computer <laughs> to actually look shit up. I mean, you know, we're two broke dudes. <laughs> and that's why I said we're beards, brews, and vinyl reviews. You know what I'm saying? Nice. Uh, here's one other fun fact, too. Um, ACDC recorded Back in Black in the same studio with the same producer. Yeah, I mean, it was like, it was Hendrix's yeah. studio that, and I think Jimmy was going to actually turn it into a club. Uh, and, yeah, that's right. And then they ended up uh, turning it into a recording studio, which is probably way fancier than uh, what we got here at uh, 
Well, we we don't even have it named, folks, because we need a sponsor for the damn studio. I yeah, mean, we need to name the studio. You know, people can send us some shit. Hey, hell, you could own the studio or at least be the name on it and get called out every week. I mean, that's right. You know, after last week's ep- or episode, you know, and we was talking about how fine Mickey's Big Mouths were, <laughs> I, I figured we'd done heard something from the fine folks at Mickey's by now, but I guess they're waiting. Nice. All right, should we recap? Yeah, let's do a quick recap. All right, album cover and artwork. I'm staking with my four on that. Four, st- four, and or four. Yeah, that makes sense. I went with a three. Um, strong tracks. Well, the whole album, other than Luann, Luann's just ooh, stay the fuck away from it. Right. I think I gave it a four because of Luann. I don't like that song that much. Yeah, um, that's what I gave it originally was the four. Favorite track rating? I think we both gave it a five. Cause he, oh, Jukebox definitely. Heroes Jukebox Heroes a five. Insane. Uh, track to avoid. I don't even think we got to say it. No, here, we'll do it in unison. Luan, Luan, get the fuck off his record. So bad. Um, TRBL, Kenny. uh, Deep Cuts, (laughs) we should be listening to. Which one did you pick for that? I I picked uh, Woman in Black. That's right, yeah. And I gave that a four. Yeah, I gave it it a four. Keeping with my four and a four theme. I went with I'm Gonna Win. Uh, Production, overall, sound, we both gave it a five. Yeah, definite five. Uh, overall listening experience it's a no-brainer it's yeah. a five and then what would you give them live five i give them a five live yeah. i mean shit if they was going to play down the street tomorrow you know pre-pandemic i would fucking be in line getting tickets yeah absolutely i mean like i said it if you've never seen them live you owe it to yourself while they're still touring and like i said even though kelly is not the original singer you know and I do think that they were doing some shows, I think, where Lou was showing up and yeah, actually doing Yeah, they were like a couple them. like one-off type shows, not a tour. Yeah, and honestly, folks, I I think I think um I think Lou can do like a few shows, but I I just don't think his voice holds up anymore to where he could actually go out and do a a full tour. Yeah, and I think some of these songs is pretty common as as guys get older, it's harder in their voice. They have to tune down a half step or whole step and, with some of these songs. And I think that was a big deal on this album because it? Mutt kept kind of pushing Lou out of his range and Lou could do the stuff in the studios. But then when they did play it live, they was tuning down. Yeah, that makes sense. To keep in his range. And I mean, you know, you can't fault nobody like that because no. I mean, hell, if you see Def Leppard these days, the songs sound a lot different because they've had to come way down because joe elliott i mean he yeah. can't hit those high notes no more and that's one thing that mud always did with the singers of all these bands that he produced i mean he pushed them to their breaking point and then some yep. and it was damn near impossible to have for him to ever replicate it live yeah for sure but that's why they called him mud lang i mean he's a perfectionist that's right all right should we call it a week We'll call it a week, and be sure to join us on the next episode when we're doing... I'm going to let you have the honors. Rush, moving pictures. There you go. So, without further ado, we are Beards, Brews, and Vinyl Reviews. I'm Brandon. And I'm Travis. And we just got to throw it out there for you, folks. Yeah. If you don't like Foreigner 4, fuck, fuck you. you.